All right. This is another episode of The Lockdown Lowdown. Happy to have Alex back again as normal. Um, always great to chat with you, Alex. So welcome back again. Thank you. Good to be here in my guest bedroom, as always. Awesome, awesome. And then we actually have a new guest because as you as you folks know, Misha is uh, currently taking leave. He's on an amazing um, contract and opportunity with Disney right now, which is very exciting. So he's unable to join us because he's out there acting. So we, we have an opportunity to bring on some new guests. And tonight we have uh, one of Alex's friends, Ian, is joining us. Um, so welcome, Ian, to the Lockdown Lowdown podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot. I've listened to a few episodes and uh, and very excited to be here. Awesome. Glad to have you, man. So you're one of our two listeners then. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. It's, yeah, you know, nice um, always good to have yeah. a fan who can join the discussion. So, so without further ado, I want to talk about workers' rights tonight. One of the, you know, as you know, in the podcast, one of our ongoing themes that's sort of, um, you know, ongoing throughout this whole thing is politics. We've talked about um, last last time around, or a couple times around ago, we did, uh, we talked about the whole socialist and the woke left movement. So now I want to talk a little bit about the worker side of everything. And there's the main topic tonight is going to be the um, continuing um, of the of the upping of the minimum wage. We're continuing to see a, a, um, a rise in the minimum wage in Ontario. And additionally, um, on top of that, if time permits, I did want to spend a little bit of time talking about the proposed legislation that's in the Ontario legislature right now um, uh, that addresses the uh, workers' right to disconnect. And so that would be white collar workers um, who would, you know, typically white collar workers who are potentially on call after hours, kind of nixing that and, and saying, you know, when, when the clock hits five o'clock, um, your, your boss is not going to bother you anymore um, because it's against the law. Okay. So that's one topic yeah, I want to talk very, about. It's a very serious first world problem. It's a first world problem. <laughs> I'm telling you. No, but I want to kick things off with the minimum wage because that's a huge debate. And, uh, and again, an ongoing, I mean, politics is huge in our podcast. So I, th- I thought it'd be appropriate to bring this up. So minimum wage, Kathleen Wynne in the failed uh, <laughs> Ontario liberal government of, of the 2010s, she just obliterated that government in the last election. And, 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 and she actually, I believe she even lost her seat, right, Alex? One of the greatest liberal defeats of all time. Oh, it was awful. It was, it was awful. Amazing. It was, it was amazing. It was inc- it was just awful to witness. It was it was it was a it was a like witnessing a car crash in slow motion, seeing what Kathleen Wynne. Honestly, when, when I woke up the next day, like I just remember it just being such a beautiful day outside. Like the just sun, just the, the rays of the sun. The sun was shining. Yeah. Kathleen Wynne had lost official yeah. party status. I was yeah. Yeah. honestly, I couldn't have I couldn't have been happier. I was on cloud nine. Yeah. And yeah. I was a big fan of Rob Ford. So having his brother in just, office couldn't have been happier. What was it that attracted you to Rob Ford? Was it the uh, the use of illicit drugs or the 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 pummeling of um, of folks in uh, in City Hall? What was it about it that attracted you to this guy who was embarrassing the city? All of, all of it. Okay, the, okay. the full package. Just the circus. Oh, he I was the full it. package, all right. He was about three hundred pounds yeah. of the full package and doing uh, fucking cocaine every other night. But anyways, we won't go there. Yeah, um, I think I think that Jimmy Jimmy Kimmel special really sold me 
Yeah. Oh yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyways, yeah. I digress. So anyway, we we mean Alex, you and I can bash the the Ontario Liberals another time. I want to jump right in. So back in 2017, Kathleen Wynne had um, taken a bold move and and wanted to raise and was successful in raising the minimum wage from the current, which at that time was $11.60 an hour, I believe, up to $14 an hour, which is a $2.40 jump, which if you think about all the people in Ontario who are making minimum wage, which is a lot, that is a big chunk of people getting a, um, a 240 jump per hour. Multiply that by how many hours in the week you're working. That's a big jump, okay? And, and the idea was in 2019 to bring that up even again to 15. Um, and so we actually saw Doug Ford stall him on this a little bit when he was voted into office. And, you know, obviously he's, he's, he's trying to pitch um, Ontario voters right now. So he has, you know, in addition to introducing this um, right to disconnect uh, legislation that we spoke about, you know, workers' rights, being able to disconnect after five o'clock, He's also introducing or reintroducing this um, um, push in the minimum wage to bring it up to, I think, 15 um, starting soon. And so is it 15 that he's bringing it up to? I'm totally losing my train of thought right now. Yeah, he's bringing it up to $15. Yeah, it's at, it's at, it's at 14.38 right now. So he's bringing it up like, I think, 62 cents to 15, which he's is- He's also eliminating, uh, Stupart, he's also eliminating- uh, the server wage. Yes, so yes. anybody that's not from not from Ontario that's watching this in Ontario, we have a separate minimum wage yes. for anybody that yes. serves serves drinks and and yeah. makes tips, and yeah. so they get paid even less than minimum wage. Yeah, yeah. And so thank you for that. I had I actually have a note on that for later in the podcast, but I'm glad you brought that up and jogged my memory. So something that I think is very cruel is this sub minimum wage because that it it kind of works on the assumption that bartenders are going to be tipped well enough that it'll make up for the for the wages that they're not getting because they're already making a sub minimum wage but I'll leave that to you guys to discuss but basically I just wanted to set the set the um the background here and that uh you know Doug Ford is trying to appeal to the people right like with with his mm -hmm. new legislation and with kind of hopping this uh, minimum wage up although I'll argue that given the inflation that we've been seeing um throughout the pandemic and as we come out of the pandemic it's he's really just kind of really keeping up with inflation anyway with this six with this uh, you know sixty two cent um, jump up to fifteen coming up soon but um, I think I've set the I think I've set the scene here and I'll throw it uh, to Alex first what do you what are your thoughts about uh, you know put uh, the the minimum wage uh, climbing up towards fifteen. Um, I got a lot on this basically. Okay. First of all, raising the minimum wage uh, speeds up inflation. And you know, any anybody that's that's gone grocery shopping in the last couple of weeks knows that your grocery bill is like much like not just like a few percentages higher than it used to be, like everything's gone up by like five bucks. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, it's strange to me that he's pushing this minimum wage hike right now, knowing that everybody's grocery bill just went up, um, which means that, you know, if, if you're paying for a service, you know, you go to McDonald's or something like that, you know, the cost of the, the actual food has gone up. And now the labor that went into making that food has all is also going to go up. Yeah. So now you're just paying 
like even more. So yeah. I think it's like, I think it's a little bit reckless. I think I, I have a feeling that we're headed down the road towards hyperinflation. Yeah. Um, it might, I could be wrong. It might not happen, but yeah. I feel like, you know, like now is the time to like buy gold and silver yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Because- and, and Alex, while I do appreciate the sentiments that you have, cause it's true. I mean, I went to McDonald's last week. We got a, a cup, you know, my fiance and I just got a couple, um, I guess, extra value meals. And mind you, we upgraded to like, like, I think I got a milkshake with mine or whatever, cause I'm trying to be super healthy. Um, but, uh, but you know what, those two meals combined were like 30 bucks, two McDonald's meals with, mind you, that's with an upgraded drink, as I mentioned, 30 bucks. So I've started to see like, even in the, in the fast food market, like the, 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 the cost of an average fast food meal has gone up. You're right. Grocery bills have gone up. Um, dairy is projected to go up, I think five to 10% next year in 2022. So we're definitely seeing inflation as a, as a result of some of the supply chain issues that we covered in our um, Canadian e- economic recovery episode uh, a couple weeks back. So I do have to, to acknowledge what you're saying there about, the, the, about inflation and about not only are you going to see inflation because of the cost of goods, but then menu prices are going to go up because of the cost of labor. So I recognize that. I, I, I want to reserve the word hyperinflation for kind of like a Germany 19 you know, 19, um, 20s and 30s, or even a Venezuela example. I don't think we're in hyperinflation territory yet. I think that's more extreme. Um, so yeah. I think that's a little bit ex- extreme, the last thing you said, but I'll, I'll leave but, it to but Ian. It's Sorry, go ahead. interesting that you mentioned uh, Venezuela, though, because we are sort of going down that socialist road, right? So it could happen where all of a sudden the government is like, okay, take out your hundred dollar bill and cross off one of the zeros. Now it's $10. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? I'll, I'll, um, we can leave that debate for a little bit later. I don't want to discount that. Maybe we are going towards more of a hyperinflation type of situation in, in Ontario or even in Canada, but I'm going to let our new guest, uh, Ian chime in. And, and as we get started on the topic tonight, Ian, what do you have to say on the, uh, on uh, Alex's initial thoughts here? Yeah, so I mean, I, although I worked for the uh, the government actually for for a few years um, on on OLG, uh, which was uh, like Ontario Lottery and Gaming, so on the on the marketing side, but that's their biggest revenue stream. So I was very connected with um, with different policies and and things like that that were being rolled out. I'm not that well versed with the actual policies and, and politics as much as you both are, but um, neither, I can neither sort of. We don't know shit. We fake it. We fake it till we make it, man. We're just we're just fake BSing it. our way through this whole thing. <laughs> buzzer, don't, buzzer, don't buzzer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. No, but go on though. Go on. Um, you were working in OLG. Yeah. You're saying. Yeah. So I, I did. I was privy to like a lot of the things that were going on, and what I can say um, from the outside looking in, um, or I guess sort of, I guess from the from from the inside, which is uh, a lot. A lot of these types of uh, decisions are are really shooting at the hip. And it's to fulfill uh, a desire, a very short-term desire. So uh, a lot of these policies are rolled out really to be re-elected. And I think that we really do need to reconsider that. Um, And it's very hard to reconsider that in a democratic society because it is a two-year or four-year term. And I I think that um, if we're thinking about that, like, it's, it's very hard to 
debate whether an increase in wage uh, is is beneficial because what does that mean? What is our measure of beneficial? Like mm -hmm. for the short term, all of those things that you mentioned make sense. So it's like it's going to increase inflation, which which isn't good. It's increased a lot from COVID, et cetera. Um, it's going to yeah, it's going to like now that we have a big consideration around uh, these subsidized workers, like you mentioned, with with wait staff and, and things like that. Um, but also like and it, it is going to help with the, the equal equality, like disparity as well. But that is very short term. I think we should also now for the first time be considering longer term. So uh, there is a big threat right now that our global superpower is going to change and there's a communist country so they don't have a democracy at all um they operate completely different than we do and i i think i think that us trying to play catch up saying let's make our country more equal and trying to absorb some of these um there there a lot of these are yeah you can say socialist or communist or, or what what have you but Trying to create equality by paying everybody um, uh, a little bit more equally, I think we're heading towards something like that. Uh, but there, those countries are also very set on uh, doing it for a purpose. So, like those those jobs that they're doing it for are laddering up to a, a longer term goal for that country. Um, I think that we need to now sort of have this like short, mid, and long term that 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 we think about beyond just this, this next election. Yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah, I, I, I really don't, like when, when I sit down, when I, like I did re research this today, um, I looked at like what, um, what the pros and cons are. And, and yeah, it's very much like, who's making the most noise? How do we help them right now? But mm -hmm. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. well, what's our country's goal? What's our long-term mm -hmm. goal for Canada? And I, I didn't really find that. And, and that's why I mentioned Venezuela, because my sister-in-law is from, from Venezuela. Um, her family was struggling massively. Uh, she's doing fairly well here. She had to get um, permanent residence and all that stuff, which was in itself a nightmare. But she can't send any money back to her family. And they're starving. And, like, it's, it's just horrible. So, like, you don't really notice those things until it's in your backyard. And I did note, and now I am noticing it. And she told me that there's a lot of parallels right now. Because she said Venezuela's short term uh, was very interested in short term gain. Mm -hmm. And it was very much to do with who's going to be elected in. And, and that's what happens with, with a country when very, their goals are very tied to a democratic system. You look at goals within the country, not the, that country looking out. Yeah, Ian, you brought up you brought up some great points, and I really love the the uh, example that you drew with um, Venezuela. And that sounds really tough. What your sister in law is going through, and I and I my heart goes out because I under, we did we actually examined this very closely in our um, I want to call it I guess the woke left kind of anti woke left anti radical left episode where I, where I talked about there's these bus drivers who will go and fill up their bus with gas. But instead of actually driving the bus around um, and picking up customers on, on a route, they'll just go and like siphon out the gas again, extract it from their, from their bus and then sell it on the black market, which is really funny thinking that be, when you think about the fact that 
the gas is so the inflation is so bad that that the gas prices is is so you know so high um compared to like when you look at their purchasing power and the and inflation and all that 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 gas is so high that they're selling it on the black market meanwhile they were one of the biggest oil producing countries in the world um previously and so it's just it's just really Sorry, go ahead. Uh, it, it, no, that's a great point. I was just going to actually build off of that. Um, we, we, I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, the West or or what. I think I think just by nature, everybody they they really just don't see things uh, the magnitude uh, until it's in your own backyard. Yeah, and percent. And and that's what my sister in law said. She said it literally happened overnight. That's how they saw it. It didn't. It happened gradually. It's like the whole notion of like a frog boiling, right? Yeah. Forget what that's yeah. called. Um, I actually think it's called the the frog boiling um, phenomenon. Yeah. And um, and it's it's very true. And we're we're in it. So what you just mentioned with the gas, I actually have a buddy who is now altering his schedules because of changed uh, gas prices. So like mm-hmm. that is actually real. So. Mm-hmm. The next step would naturally be more inflation. Mm-hmm. The gas price is going even higher, and then it will get to a point where people just don't drive gas vehicles anymore. Yeah. and it's at that point where people will say, "How did this happen?" And this you know, is how I, it happened. You're making some really good points, and I'm going to go back to Alex in a minute because um, Alex is waiting patiently there. But I just w- one analogy that I want to I want to make is that our governments, whether it's the Ontario government or the Canadian federal government as an example, is kind of like a giant corporation. A giant corporation is only about the short-term gains, gains, right? So a, a giant corporation um, looks at what is my next quarter going to look like in terms of revenue, um, you know, operational costs, and then what is my total profit? What, what are the shareholders going to get in terms of profit, right? And so, and so that's the same as a politician who's looking just to like, it's basically a sales pitch. Like when you're going to get elected, you're, you're in a sales pitch and like Kat, you know, Kathleen Wynn may have fucked up really hard, but then now we have Doug Ford, who's kind of doing this sales pitch with not only the, the right to disconnect legislation that's coming through, which I think is quite fair, but he's also doing a sales pitch with this whole, like, you know, jumping up the, the minimum wage by 60 cents, which is not huge, but it's still significant enough that it'll have an impact. And, and, and that's why I draw the comparison because what these people are doing, they only have four years to do what they need to do. It's a short term. Uh, they only have a short term in order to get things done. They're not thinking for the long term because they don't know if they're going to get elected again. And so what the country does is it thinks in these short, you know, four, four year blocks in terms of goals. But you I think you're 100% correct in that we're not seeing long-term the same same way that corporations don't see long-term they only see from quarter to quarter to quarter in terms of their profits so i i, I really love your comments you know again alex has been waiting here so alex i'm going to throw it back to you to respond to to what ian said about uh about uh the sort of the short-term vision of some of these politicians yeah i think it's exactly what he's talking about there it's this is all about an election um, Doug Ford is trying to buy your vote with your money. Uh, you know, like this, this is a very weird um, election tactic uh, coming from somebody like Doug Ford, who, if you recall, he got elected on promising to freeze the uh, minimum wage increases. Yeah. yeah. So what happened between then and now? 
Like it, it's, it's so weird to me that a conservative politician that is for, for business in Ontario and making, um, making Ontario a competitive place to set up shop, to, to start your business, um, is now all of a sudden doing, doing an about turn and he wants to increase the minimum wages. Um, not to mention his, like, basically the way that he's acted throughout the pandemic has been, um, I would say it, it's fair to say that he was pandering to uh, strategies that were promoted primarily on the left. Um, so, you know, things like the vaccine passports, um, um, you know, excessive lockdowns, things like that. A lot of these ideas were really um, promoted by sort of left-leaning um, people. And, uh, and yeah, basically it, it, it seemed like, you know, in the very beginning of his, um, his term, he was very unpopular, uh, pushing right-wing ideas. And I think he, I, like my theory is that he found that the path of least resistance is just to become a liberal. Um, it's <laughs> a strange, <laughs> like it, it's so strange to me because it's like, I look at the comments on his Facebook page, all of the like Ford nation, like the, the hardcore, like Ford supporters, like his base, they hate his guts right now. Yeah, um, yeah. Like myself, I, like I was a big fan of, of like, the Ford politics. And I, I liked what they were all about for like, for the most part, not everything, but, and now like the, I will tell you right now, as a conservative, there is no way in hell I am voting for Doug Ford uh, this June. That is not happening. Um, I will sit this one out. I don't care if we get another four years of, of liberal, uh, uh, liberal party in power in, in Ontario. I don't even care. You know, it's, like interesting there's Alex, no difference uh, at this point it literally doesn't so Doug, dougie pissed you off man no and that's and that's fair because it goes back to like ian's point which you were very astute to say that ian is the idea that we're people are looking short term and it, it, it is a sales pitch as i mentioned and that's what doug ford's doing um is is really he's doing an about face like you mentioned where he you're right he did stall on this he froze this he actually campaigned on this and i remember that he was very against the minimum wage but now in order to to get back in the in the in the forefront and get in front of like the sort of the woke left or like maybe the lower income earners in ontario who make up a big part of the voting base like he's doing what he needs to do to sell himself and i understand why as a conservative you would be um disappointed um, I think something we have to consider is that when Kathleen, Wien, excuse me, when Kathleen Wynne did it, it was $2.40, which is enormous considering the magnitude of like the amount of people who would, who are working on minimum wage and, and the volume of people in, you know, working in these businesses, that's a pretty huge jump. He's only doing 60 cents, right? So it's that, not that's a fair, that, that is fair. Um, but what I, I think I, what I want to do is we've talked a little bit about the sort of the macro picture, like the economic picture. I want to go down to the workers level. Um, and because again, I'm very split myself, right? Like I don't have a yes or no answer. This is a very, um, it's, it is a balancing act and it is a debate, right? Um, but what I want to look at is 
the person and and we've talked in a you know you and i have talked about personal finances with misha um you know you're in ottawa which is not exactly cheap i'm in toronto which is the most expensive city well i think next to vancouver or tied with vancouver in terms of being the most expensive talking i'm talking groceries gas real estate everything right and so yeah, if i look at if i look at part of me say again no, I disagree. I, I, uh, I, I live downtown as well. I was just agreeing with you. It's, it is very expensive. It's awful. Yeah. And so I think what, what I was thinking about when we did our personal finances episode, Alex, is what is, you know, minimum wage versus a livable wage versus being comfortable in Toronto. I think we can all agree if you're not making $50,000 in Toronto and you're living by yourself, or even with a couple, if you're like, if you're a couple making like a modest income of $50,000 or less in Toronto, you're pretty screwed, right? And what minimum wage I think amounts to if you're working 40 hours a week is maybe 40,000, something like that. So I, th I think, or even less. So no, I think, no, it's actually less. I think if you, if you look at it, I think it's like 31,000. If you look at like 40 hours a week at 14, whatever, an hour or 15 an hour. Anyways, it's not a lot of money. It's really not, it's, it's not really comfortable. You can't be comfortable on minimum wage in Toronto. So I want to talk to you guys. What do you guys think? Like, I guess a couple questions here. What would be a, um, a comfortable wage in Toronto? We'll use Toronto as an example because it's so expensive. So what would be a comfortable salary, like annual salary in Toronto? And what do you think people should have within, in order to be comfortable or, or even just to have the basics? What do you think makes up the basics? Is that a modest vacation? Is that having a little bit of money to save? Is that just getting by? Like, what do you think? Because I think, I think the whole idea of, of the minimum wage is to, help with equity and equality, but there are people who are working 40 hours a week and can't even, can't even make the ends meet. So I'm going to throw it to Ian. What are your, what are your thoughts about living comfortably in somewhere like Toronto and how that relates to um, the current, the current minimum wage as it is now? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good question. I know, I know a lot of, uh, um, I used to, to, uh, to be in the comedy scene for a while, actually in Ottawa and then Toronto. So I'm still friends with a lot of the comics and now we're all kind of working together and doing some stuff with uh, having them do some stuff with uh, marketing, building out like a comedy sketch writing group. So I, I was chatting with them the other day and they, they were chatting about something different, the universal basic income. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like they're, they're all working like as as wait, waiters and waitresses and and uh and and different different jobs that would fit within this minimum wage um bracket and they're doing it to try to make it in an art so they're looking for like a tv show or they're looking like they see this as sort of this like limbo type of state um I don't know anybody that's uh personally that's working in a like a minimum wage job that wants to do that particular job for a long long term um i know there's a lot of people that that are um i can speak for those people so people like the arts that have come to toronto to try to network with people and, and grow and, and and build something um there they they do find other ways to to make ends meet through like different creative means um i I, I can't speak for, again, people that are just working this 40 hour work week at $15 an hour. Um, personally speaking, uh, if I was to just be completely um, unbiased, I would I would say if I were doing that, I wouldn't live, be, be living downtown. 
like I just wouldn't. I would be living in a much more affordable place because there's no point in living downtown Toronto. Your your downtown Toronto really to uh, to take advantage of those other things. Like if like let's just say I was working as a waiter or waitress um, and I just wanted to do that job and uh, I didn't want to do, like I would probably choose a smaller city to live in that was a lot more affordable uh and would fit that lifestyle you know i don't know like and, and again i don't want to be discriminatory or anything but I, I i don't know if i would choose downtown toronto like that, that that's almost like me saying i want to go to new york city and i don't care how much it costs because i want the government to pay for me to do it you know yeah, yeah. no these, these are some these are some fair points excuse me fair points and even with the you know, cost of real estate. We've seen a lot of people get pushed out of Toronto because they either can't afford the rent, you know, and, and if I look at the, the average price of rent right now, I think it's around $2,000 for a one bedroom. Sometimes it can be upwards of $2,500. I've seen some yeah. bedrooms who are more, yeah. that are more than that. Um, when I was at Young and Eglinton, we were in a one bedroom that was 1500. That was actually a really good deal. That was a junior one bedroom in Midtown. And so, you know, you know, just rent or even real estate alone are driving a lot of young people out of Toronto just because they cannot, you know, um, keep up with that, with that, with that, you know, expensive lifestyle. And even Alex, like you're working a very good, you know, job in the trades, which is in demand. And even yourself, you said, I am at the point now where I don't have, I'm not at the salary that I'm, where I'm going to be comfortable in Toronto, I want to go on that, you know, a couple of vacations a year, something like that, you know, be able to afford a wedding or a child, like you just had your first child, right? And I and I know that it was a difficult decision, but you actually moved out of Toronto because you just at your current in your current sales job, you just weren't keeping up with where you wanted to be in terms of salary. So I want your two cents, Alex, in terms of um, minimum wage, livable wage, comfortable wage um, in, in Ontario and different areas of Toronto. What do you, what do you think? What do you have to say on that? Toronto is just a weird phenomenon fueled by like extreme real estate prices. Um, like, I don't understand like how, how you can go to McDonald's and somebody's willing to serve you a burger at a McDonald's in Toronto. Like it's, it's so insanely expensive there. Um, it just, it doesn't even make any sense to me. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah, like, and like, I don't, I, I can't tell you a number for a minimum wage in Toronto. Like if you were making $20 an hour, it's not enough. Like there's not like, you know, it's, it's kind of like its own, um, it should, it should almost have its own minimum wage, you know, which, which would be like yeah. 25 bucks yeah. an hour or something. I'm just going to interject like for one, one quick second. I just did the calculation yeah. now because I wanted to make sure I was being accurate and $15 an hour times 40 hours a week times 52 weeks in a year is 31, 2000. I've even coming out of school, I never made that little amount of money and it was tight for me. Right. So, um, and I, so I kind of agree with what you're saying, Alex, like Toronto should maybe we, sh I mean, I know this would take a lot of reworking of, of, of legislation and just, you know, starting from scratch in terms of like labor laws and everything, but maybe we should have a different minimum wage in Toronto than we do in Brantford or in Peterborough. You know what I mean? But that's, that's exactly it. And as a business owner in Sudbury, Ontario, or something like that, 
why should they have to pay the exact same wage as a, as a business in Toronto? Mm-hmm. Trying I, to keep I agree with that. Toronto yeah. real estate prices mm-hmm. in a city like as far away, like on the other side of the province. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. And it, it does make a lot of sense what you're saying. And again, we're... I hate to say it, but like, so I, I read, um, uh, I read this, uh, this uh, book Capital by Karl Marx, um, which was turned into what's called the Communist Manifesto, which was mm-hmm. uh, adopted by Mao China. Uh, Here we go. Com- communism. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep, I'll keep it short. But um, in, 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 like, in short, a lot of people threw that away because they said that's the communist manifesto, but it actually wasn't. Essentially what he is saying is exactly what we're saying is uh, if you start going down this path of, yeah, people holding on to uh, of, of resources, um, you're gonna get to a place where there's have and have nots and there's, there's gonna be equality and there's going to be um, protests and things like that. And that's eventually going to have to come up with some sort of solution and then you start putting these types of things in place. So we do have other examples that have gone through this and they have changed. And like a lot of what you're saying, Alex, is almost the beginning of like a communist type of mentality, like it's socialist, like where, where you have different jobs uh, that have different, different um, wages and different uh, geographic locations that also mm-hmm. have different minimum wages, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and and I really do think that we, like a lot of people, they look at that and they're like, that's socialist or that's communist, but it's not. Like, I think there is this middle ground where you, you can identify as being a democratic society and also have these types of things. Um, and I think that's where we have to get to. It can't be this blanket minimum wage across the entire province, uh, no matter well, it, what it job you're doing. Like- it goes against like free market economics. Oh yeah, and, and exactly. Something, something you were logical. saying earlier is, is uh, you were saying like you're not sure like how much the minimum wage increasing the minimum wage actually improves the quality of life. Um, and and in I, I did a little bit of research on Wikipedia, and um, <laughs> and I and I found something that's quite telling about about the origins of minimum wage in in the United States. And some of the very first people that were pushing minimum wage uh, were eugenicists um, because they they believe that having a minimum wage meant that companies would be forced to um, prefer skilled laborers and then uh, immigrants, um, people that had disabilities, um, women, you know, would not be able to enter the workforce at all. And therefore they wouldn't be able to have families and then be able to procreate. Um, So that like, that's really interesting because one of my biggest arguments against the minimum wage is that it actually puts people that have, um, you know, less to offer at a major disadvantage. Um, like, for, you know, for example, like if you're straight out of high school, um, you don't have, you don't, like you barely know how to use a calculator um, and like they're able to hire you because they can pay you a very small amount. Um, it still makes sense to hire you. Um, and you're getting, and you're right. And you're get you're not being incentivized 
to do less. You're being incentivized to do more because you know that the more skilled you're going to become, the more you will make and the more you contribute. You're getting more based on you being uh, um, competent. And it's, it's funny you say that. There's a, one of the first jobs I had was, was in marketing. It was actually for a newspaper. And uh, there was this lady that was from, from China that worked there. And uh, she said to me, she's like, I just said, what's the biggest difference between here and China? She's like, I can't tell you how many like single parents I, I've seen here. It's just mind blowing. And I'm like, really? I'm like, you don't see that like in China, like single parents? She's like, no, she's like, it's incredible. But she's like, I looked into it. And she's like, it's because you offer single parents money. She's like, of course, there's going to be single parents. She's like, in China, we don't offer parents money to have kids. And I'm like, but how do they get by? She's like, well, they just don't do it because they're not going to get money for it. And I'm like, huh, that's that's so fascinating. You know what I mean? It's like, and and I kind it's of like stay in your abusive relationship with your with your um your abusive no, husband not, because we're not going to give you any money if you leave if you uh, walk out the door with your kids and try to yeah, escape the abuse, right? Yeah, I know what that, you mean. Like, it's, it's there there there's both sides to look at, right? But like, but ultimately, it's like if we're increasing, like back to what I was mentioning before, it's like if people want to stay in Toronto to just party and have a good time and they just want more money to do so. And it's like, well, how do I stay here? Because I'm not making enough money from this minimum wage. Well, then I think it's really important to look at why the reasons why you're, you're here and as opposed to another city where you're doing the same job um, and, and you're able to get by there. And if the solution, like, I really do consider that a band-aid solution, throwing more money, more money, more money to keep this person here rather than actually fix the issue, which is, are you here for the right reason, right? And the, the country has to pay for it in a time when we really can't afford it because no one knows what the heck, how, how, the, how much we, we owe. And this debt yeah. is actually possibly going to be recalled soon. Uh, I think it's actually a trillion, by the way, you said how much do we owe? I think if you did, so I think that if you look at the, um, what do you call it? The uh, deficit, it's in the hundreds of billions. But if you, if you don't look at like our um, gross domestic product, if you only look at the debt that we owe and purely the debt we owe, I think it's close to a trillion. Yeah. So we're, we're actually, there, there's big talks about, like, I don't know if you guys see the GOP 26, uh, China and, or 24. Uh, China and Russia didn't attend. It was like the first time and it was a huge deal. Um, recently, they're like, they're warning all of their citizens to start to talk finally food and get ready for something. And I think, uh, and that's sort of what I was alluding to earlier. It's like, I think our countries should stop looking inward and same with the states are doing exactly the same thing. Stop looking inward at who's making the most noise and making decisions around that. Why don't we, for the first time, look outward? I know it's very hard as a democratic society, but look at what the rest of the world is doing because mm -hmm. the writing is on the doorstep. And as soon as Taiwan is invaded, we're in martial lockdown and this will all be irrelevant anyways. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that like these topics are important, but there's much more important discussions to be had yeah. that, uh, that are a lot more long-term. Long yeah, no, I agree. We need to, as, as, a, as a nation, as a province or as a nation, we need to kind of look at what's going on in the around in the world, be aware, 
see what other countries are doing, see what's going on in the world stage, right? And so, Ian, I know okay. that you have a hard stop, so I'm going to thank you so much for joining. You've brought uh, some additional dimensions of, of, you know, to this topic and some different angles at which we could dissect this very important topic of minimum wage. So, Thank you very much. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, you know, of course, invite you back on in the future to for further discussions. Yeah, but, I would love uh, to. But uh, bye for now, and I guess Alex and I will, uh, will continue on for a few minutes here. But th thanks again, right, gentlemen. Yeah, thank yeah, you thanks. so much. Great meeting you. Thanks. thanks okay. Take care, man. Pleasure, so, so bye. yeah, thanks again. Bye bye. Um, so, Alex, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it back to you now that there's just the two, two of us left in the room here. I think the biggest debate is like. What, at what point do we see that tipping point, right? And we've already had like, you know, the pandemic has already caused, to your point, a lot of inflation. We're getting towards hyperinflation territory. We're not there yet. But even your grocery bill, as you said, is pretty, pretty terrible these days. So what is the tipping point? Is it $15 an hour for a minimum wage? Is it 20? At what point are, is someone like me going to stop going to restaurants because my my food bill, my, my, the menu costs have gone too, have gone up too much for me to go to the keg or to McDonald's or wherever I want to go. Right. So what's that tipping point, right? It's, it's kind of a balance act, but you know, people need to make ends meet. Even if you're making minimum wage, you want to be able to make ends meet and have like a decent life. If you're working 40 hours a week at the same time, there's the economic um, aspects that we talked about. Where, like, where do you see like the tipping point being? Well, I think we're already there to a certain extent. I mean, you know, before Kathleen Wynne raised the minimum wage, what was what was the minimum wage? Something like 12, 1275. 11.60. 11.60. Okay. Um, thank you for that. Uh, so basically the cost of a meal at, at you know, like not not like a fancy meal, but like a fast food sort of something you can just grab on your lunch break kind of meal happened to be around that, you know, it used to be around 11 or $12. Yeah. Um, then almost as soon as minimum wage went up to $14, then, you know, no surprise uh, to anybody, the cost of that same sort of fast food meal yeah. went up to about $14. Yeah. And for everybody that, that, you know, works at a little bit above minimum wage didn't didn't share in that boost um, you know you're still making the exact same amount as you did before um, now you've got to pay you know that much more for for your meal on your lunch break and yeah and I don't know about you but for me it, it meant that okay well I'm just not going to do that anymore <laughs> I'm gonna I'm just gonna bring my food from home yeah uh, you know, I'm going to like severely restrict the amount of times that I go out and grab something yeah, yeah. just because like that, that one or $2 is like, it pushes it from, from like, you know, just a normal expense to kind of a luxury and yeah. like, what's the point of that? So I just bring my own lunch and, no, and that's I'm sure smart. I'm it's, you know, it's going to help your wallet. You know, I haven't gone to a Starbucks or a Tim Hortons, I don't think for a, a good, like, I think since the pandemic's begun, with the exception of maybe once or twice if I've gone out. But other than that, like, I have if, a if no- We want Ontario, like, according to Doug Hort, we want Ontario to be open for business. Yeah. Then shouldn't we be doing things that encourages you to go and buy lunch, to go and spend money, yeah. Yeah. to basically make the economy- 
the economy only works if cash is changing hands. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Nobody can afford to do anything, then the economy is going to go downhill. It, well, it, you know, I was going to mention right now, what I do to save money is um, like yourself, I've been eating at home. I mean, I've been working from home, so I'm eating from home anyway. But on top of that, as I said, I haven't gone to a, to a Starbucks for however, you know, however long. That's $2 right there. $2, $2.50, whatever, $3 after a tip for a fucking coffee, right? I've been, I've been having my no frills, like giant, like container of coffee at home. And it cost me like seven cents, <laughs> seven cents for a cup of coffee. So no, but the, all that aside, I remember it's, it's interesting that you kind of made that parallel between say your burger and fry combo going from $11, $12. If you're getting an extra value meal at, you know, a McDonald's or a Burger King, for example. And I've noticed like, even when I went to like the food court, like a couple of years ago at Toronto Eden Center. Now, mind you, it's Toronto Eden Center, so it's expensive anyway. But like us, if I went to South Street Burger, which is a little bit more premium of a burger, a basic combo at South Street was $15 an hour. And you're right. It's pretty in line with with the minimum weight. So maybe there's maybe that's like maybe it's not always going to be like that. But that's, maybe that's like a good indicator. What you can expect. Whenever whenever a politician tells you we're going to increase the minimum wage by a dollar, it's like, OK, well, you know, going out and grabbing a quick yeah. meal. Uh, after work or at lunch or something like that yeah. that's gonna cost an extra dollar now yeah. and know, it's like- and it's just compounded with the fact that uh that the as i said the pandemic is is it's really a two a two-pronged thing here because again you have the supply chain issues the we're already in a, in a state of inflation and prices are already going up and then you're and then you're going to add that, that those labor costs as well and it's and it, and it and i wonder if 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 let's say you have someone working at a metro metros a really expensive grocery store okay so if you're a minimum wage worker, okay, at Metro and all, and Metro has to start paying all these bat, these grocery baggers and the cashiers and, and the stock people, if all those people have to get bumped up now, right? 60 cents, that person who's probably going to go buy something on their lunch, maybe from the Metro is also going to be exposed to a higher grocery bill. So they're actually losing, even though their minimum wage is going up, right? To 15, if you're, if you're a cashier, they're also, their purchasing power is probably going, staying the same, if not staying going down. Because you have to remember exactly. that m- money is nothing I, I, without, I, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I thought Ian made a really, really good statement there. He's like, I'm not sure how much it goes towards uh, an improvement in your quality of life. And it's like, that's, that's really how we should be measuring things is not how much money you're making, yeah. but what are you able to buy with yeah the money you're making that's so much more important if i made ten dollars a year uh it wouldn't matter if that ten dollars could buy everything everything that i need to to feed my family yeah i don't know what century or what province you're living in but that wouldn't that be the dream <laughs> but, but that's really what it's all about yeah, like the, yeah, the yeah. amount of money on your paycheck it's just a number it doesn't exactly it doesn't mean anything yeah. What means something is when you give that money to another person, what they're willing to give you. So exactly. I don't know, like, like no. that's the, the thing about raising the minimum wage is it only helps one person, and that's the person that's raising the minimum wage. Because yeah. a lot of like Canadian voters drive me nuts because like we're so on board with this um, uh, like. Oprah Winfrey style of election, you know, basically you yeah. get a car, 
you get a car, you get a car, please yeah. elect yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, they're buying your vote with your money. Like yeah. it doesn't make any sense. And I, I think that Canadians should be smart and push back against that because it just doesn't, it, it doesn't make any sense. And Trudeau did it, Kathleen Wynne did it. And now we've got Doug Ford, who's like supposedly a conservative, yeah. um, you know, fiscally smart doing it. I, I, it, it baffles my mind that, yeah. that he's giving to this cheap kind of politics. And yeah, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's, it's a game. It's, it's a sales pitch. And uh, people are just trying to get that next election. They're not looking long-term. Like we said, he's just, his one goal is to get reelected. Um, and I don't think, I don't think even he has looked at all the economic, all the economics um, behind it, right? Because to your point, like it's wonderful in theory that the minimum wage goes up, but it's only so far as your dollar can stretch. And, and with, you know, so if you don't have the purchasing power, it means nothing. And I remember even working what, you know, 10 years ago when I had my first job at the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation doing tech, I made $40,000 a year, which was not terrible. It wasn't bad for like a unionized, like entry level technical job at, at CBC. But like fast forward 10 or 11 years, like I, when I was switching jobs, like to, a, to, to, you know, to get, to get further in the market, in the marketing industry and work my way up and, and whatever, I said, I'm not taking anything under 60. If I'm going to leave my current company where I was making like 45, maybe 47 with bonus, I'm not touching another company minimum 60. Okay. Thousand. Right. And that's just, that's just a testament to in 10 years how much my purchasing power has gone down. And if let's say I was making consistently 40, 45, whatever thousand dollars a year over the last 10, 10 years, that purchasing power has decreased substantially because not only because of the pandemic, forget about the pandemic and the supply chain issues, even just real estate rent, right? Like all that stuff. So I think we can all agree that it's a nice sentiment and it's a good idea on the surface to put up the minimum wage. I mean, it is only 60 cents this time around with Doug Ford, but at the end of the day, it really depends what region you're living in and how much purchasing power you have in that region. Now, I don't, I did mention that I wanted to do a quick, very quick segment on the right to disconnect. Did you still have a, before we go to that, uh, okay. did you want to talk about um, server wage and student oh, yes. wage a little bit. Yeah, or, yeah, for sure, for sure. I just wanted to be cognizant I, of the time, but go ahead. I, I actually like do agree with getting rid of server wage, though. Um, I I always kind of thought that was just insane that somehow servers are supposed to accept a lower wage uh, because they're provi providing, uh, you know, supposedly an excellent service that that deserves you know, tipping extra money. Um, it's just, it was always insane to me that they would be making like, uh, like, you know, at least a couple dollars less than yeah. minimum wage. Yeah. Uh, just because if they do a great job, the customer is going to tip them. Um, so like the, like it's such a backwards incentive structure and it just seemed to me like restaurants were cheaping out. Like, oh, like, yeah restaurants make lots of money. I know that, that their margins aren't huge compared to other, other uh, sectors and other businesses, but, you know, I'm sure that they're able to pay their employees minimum wage based yeah. on what they're selling, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of the times, you know, people that go 
to like high-end restaurants, um, you know, like they'll drop a hundred dollars on a meal. And to that person, a hundred dollars is nothing. Like that's one of the things that always blew me away about, about working in um, uh, fine dining. When I went to school uh, at Ryerson, I was working in fine dining. And, uh, and if you ever wanted a better example of the income gap, uh, you could not find one than within the walls of a fine dining establishment. You have, you have people making less than minimum wage serving people that are multimillionaires. Um, it, it just made no sense to me. Ever. Now, let me ask you, Alex, that, that, and I'm glad you brought this topic up because it's a fascinating topic. And there's a lot of, as you said, a real pay gap in, in society that comes to light that's illustrated in the experience that you said, even from when you were working, you know, going to school. Um, let me ask you this, those multimillionaires, did they tip well? Um, like they'll tip the, the prescribed 15%. Got it. Got it. Okay. Which is, so I think that kind of. Tip 15%. That's what you, that's what you tip. You know, maybe occasionally you get the person that's feeling very generous or, yeah. or they just won. Yeah. You know, they just got promoted or just won the lottery and they'll tip more than that. But, you know, for the most part, everybody just tips the and standard. It, and it kind of, you know, proves the point that I don't want to be, you know, general, you know, generalizing. This is just a general statement. This does not apply to every rich person, but sometimes rich people can be a little bit cheap when it comes to these things. And I, I, I wasn't surprised because, you know, it's sometimes it's the lower income people that that help out the other lower income people more by doing by being more generous with their money. You see a lot of like lower, like, you know, modest income people who are the ones doing like the community work, working out in the community or, or, you know, working with charities and stuff. Not to say, I mean, a lot of rich people do as well. Like, I, again, I don't want to make a general statement, but a lot of rich people like will not be as, have you, haven't you found that? Like, they won't be as generous when it comes to like, tipping like stuff like that, even though they have more of the pie, even though they have more money, you would, you would think that they would tip 18 or 20 or maybe even 25%, but they don't. Right. And so even well, you there, working... a wise saying, I, I forget who, where I heard this one, but you know, basically rich people didn't, didn't get rich by giving away all their money. Well, that's exactly what I was trying to say. You said it in a much, much more succinct way, but it's, yeah, basically they're not giving out all their, their fortune. So they're kind of, they're kind of um, hoarding it for themselves. So I'm, I'm not surprised when you said that these, these, you know, these rich people in these fine dining establishments were only paying like the, the bare minimum accepted amount, which is around 15%. Um, no, and I think you made some good points there that I think it's absolutely ridiculous, the culture we have in Canada and the States where even, you know, I've been to Europe and I have friends that live in Europe and they don't look at tipping the same way. It's like a very rare thing. And like, they actually just pay their servers enough to actually feel motivated to do the job. Um, whereas here, it's kind of like the restaurant is kind of cheaping out, whether it's a keg or whether it's a bar or, you know, whether it's a upscale, low scale, whatever, um, they're, they're cheaping out, right? And they're, what they're doing is they're passing on the onus to the consumer to help fill in that wage gap, right? That's what they're doing. What they were saying is, what they're saying is, I, I don't find you worthy enough of paying of me shelling out minimum wage to you, then I'm going to pass that responsibility onto the patron. And it, it, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Not only does it bring up the, not only in your head, do you have to calculate, okay, well, I'm going out to the keg tonight. This is how much my steak and mashed potatoes were. 
but then you have to add GST, sorry, HST onto that, right? And then on top of that, you have to think, well, after this HST, um, how much is my tip going to be, right? And then I bought alcohol, so then there's going to be the, you know, and so so it really it really add it just makes it just makes that that thirty dollar steak and potatoes jump up to fifty bucks pretty soon, right? And so I, yeah. I it's it's really a backwards way that we have that we're basically passing that onus onto the consumer. I think it's really smart that what Doug Ford's doing in this aspect in terms of like making it sort of an equal playing field for the serving staff, like, and the bartenders as well with getting that, that, uh, that, that jump to 15 along with everybody else. So I think there's, there's some sense um, there. And I think it's a smart thing for him to do. Um, what do you think, I guess now that we're on the topic of that, Alex, and since you brought it up, um, what do you think will, do you think that there will be an impact on tipping now that people know that these people are no longer getting a sub minimum wage? Or do you think that the average, you know, consumer, the average patron will still continue to tip 15 to 18%? That's a really good question. I have no idea how, how that's going to work out. If, if that actually would impact it somehow, I doubt it. Um, because you know, you're still, they're still going to ask you for a tip on your bill. They're not going to remove that portion from the bill. And, and a lot of the times the, the expectation for how much you're supposed to tip is at least influenced by the restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know a lot of times when I sit down at a restaurant, like they'll, they'll give me the uh, ATM machine and it says, uh, would you like to tip, like, would you like to leave a tip uh, 18%? I'm like, wait a minute, tips are not 18%, tips are 15%, <laughs> you know? So I have to sort of like actually navigate the menu to change it yeah. to 15% sometimes. I've know? done that too. And I, I feel like I, so some, sometimes I'll do like 18 if I'm feeling really generous or if I'm just like, if I had a really good experience or maybe it's a smaller meal so I can afford to, to not break the bank and do the 18%. But like yourself, like a lot of the time, I'm going to do that 15% because that seems to be what's accepted, um, generally yeah. speaking, in Canada. Um, I, I think they're still going to be pushing, like, like restaurants are still going to be soliciting 15 or 18% tips. That's, yeah. that's not changed. Yeah. So. And so what, what these restaurants will do is, all, what you're going to see is you're going to see incre increased menu costs. Um, because of the, because we know that these restaurants are going to pass this, this minimum wage increase onto the diner. So I'm going to see an increase in an already expensive dining market in Toronto. And then on top of that, I'm still going to have to pay um, my tip, which is a percentage. So that percentage, that, that amount is going to go up because it's just simply a percentage. So I think, I think what we're going to see here is um, just a really expensive dining experience coming to Toronto when it's already super experience, um, expensive. And that may dictate the fact that I may not go out as much. I love to go out, right? I love to go out and get a burger or a steak. And that, and, and it's you times a million other people. It's bad for the economy. Yes. Yes. So it's, this is a band-aid solution yeah, that yeah, happens yeah. to be bad for the economy. Yeah. It's like, if you actually want to fix the root of the problem, yeah. We could re we could remove the carbon tax. Um, we could, uh, you know, get uh, Canadian energy moving. We could start exporting our natural resources, um, and then we could actually improve the value of our dollar, so that the the money that you're already making is worth more. 
imagine that right yeah no that's a good point because with with if you're if the economy is booming more what that means is and there's let's say let's say you know at some point taxes were reduced or taxes were not you know they were not capped is the wrong word but let's say we don't see a huge tax um jump or let's say we move to a different taxation system um, what that if you remove some tax from the system, what that what that do, get, does is gives you more purchasing power because you're keeping more of your pay, paycheck or your paycheck has more power, right? And so you know even if we have a minimum wage, those people, to your point, are able to do more with their money because they're not as weighed down by all these different taxes that you mentioned. So um, again, I really appreciate the comments we've had so far around the minimum wage purchase power. And the balancing act that this this whole thing is opening up and that we have to consider. But before we close off tonight's episode, don't forget tonight's episode is all about the rights or the experience of the worker. And so in addition to minimum wage, I did want to mention the right to disconnect. Um, We talked about the fact that Doug Ford is currently in a sales pitch to re-win another four years um, of of, um, Ontario voters' trust. And so another something else that's, that's actually going through the legislature right now is the right to disconnect legislation, which is very appropriate because during the pandemic, um, a lot of people, especially white collar workers like myself, um, had to adapt to working from home. We were in lockdown. Um, there was a risk with going to the office. So everyone's been working from home. And while I try to keep my, in my current job, you know, where we have a very good like work-life balance culture, I do, you know, clock on at nine and clock off at five for the most part. So I'm pretty good with putting in like an eight hour day and then like logging off and like basically fucking off from work. But a lot of people were not in that situation, either voluntarily or they felt pressure from their, from their boss to answer emails after hours. But with this you know, with this new proposed legislation um, from the government of Ontario, it will be essentially illegal for managers to, or even coworkers to um, email you or have you expect, expect you to answer an email or a Slack message um, after you've logged off from your normal eight hour workday. So Alex, what do you have to say about the right to disconnect in Ontario? Um, I think that is a winning proposal. I can't imagine who would want to argue against that. Um, it just makes sense. I mean, you know, like that's that's one of the great things about the Western world is that we have rights for our workers and you're not allowed to work people more than uh, a certain amount of hours per week. Um, and, you know, like obviously technology, Technology has changed. The way that people do their jobs has changed. Um, so we obviously have to just sort of update things to, um, you know, just keep up with the times. And now that now that people are accessible wherever they go uh, through their through their cell phone, uh, we just need to make sure that people are sort of sticking to this um, this idea of of you know people working sensible hours during the week and not being yeah. expected to. Uh, basically be slaves to their job so no i agree and and i don't think it matters i don't think it matters if you're working at a near minimum wage job or if you're making 60 70 you know 90 dollars a year it doesn't matter 
I mean, maybe you're you're a manager or a director in a in a in a very high pressure industry, and maybe you're expected once in a while to like put out fires after work. But I think for the general, like, let's say you're you're an indiv- individual contributor, you're not management. Um, I think I think it's really important that you have that opportunity not to even have work in the back of your mind. Like once you hit five, five thirty, what have you. Um, I think it's, I think you need to turn that switch off and say, well, you know what? I need to spend some time with my, my kids. I need to, I need to play a board game with my, with my young family. I need to cook some dinner. I want to kick back and watch some TV, have a beer and just have that time with your family or with your friends. Right. And I, and I, and I think the sad thing is, well, some, you know, it's sometimes it's the workplace that, that puts the pressure on oh, well, you know, you're a social media marketer. If someone, if someone makes a tweet about our brand after hours, you have to answer that tweet right away because we don't want our, our customers to think that you're not responsive, right? So there's that side of it where there's pressure for people to answer um, emails after hours coming down from management. But then the other side, I think, is like the competitive side. And I've seen this in the market research industry. And I've also seen this in television as well as my, you know, even my current company where people think, well, they have to be on if they it's a it's it's a competition to see who leaves the office first or last. And it's also a competition to see who signs off if you're working from home, who signs off first or last. Right. And the person who sign, who leaves the office, it's, who comes in at 930 and leaves at seven is a is a better worker than the person that comes in at nine and leaves at five or five fifteen. So I, I think there's that, you know, a lot of people put pressure on their on themselves because they want, they want to show that they're putting in the longer hours. So they're better for that promotion or for that bonus or for that raise, which I think is pretty sick. And I think what's happening is it's very, you know, if there's no office structure, if you're working from home, it's very easy to say, well, I'll do another couple of reports. It won't take that long. And then half an hour later, well, you're like, what, you know, could that have waited until tomorrow? So I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I think you raise a really interesting sort of aspect of this though like like you know let's let's just uh take for example somebody that works in a sales job and you know anybody that works in sales knows that that you're constantly being measured um against your your colleagues and um, i've worked in sales environments where um you know you're being compared to um sales professionals that will go home open up their laptop and just continue selling, um, continue calling, continue selling from home. Uh, so like, so, so like how exactly do you police a situation like that? Like whenever, whenever you, you know, make a law, you need to enforce it. So, so how in a situation, situation like that, is it even possible to enforce something like that? When at the end of the month, your, your boss can come to you and say, listen, you're, you're you you know you're very the very bottom on the sales board all your colleagues have been making phone calls from home um you know like it's pretty obvious that that would be a a real problem so i don't know and and you know what i think i think we have to look at sales a bit separately because it's it's a kind of a phenomenon like and i remember working in sales as well where it's like Okay, great. You got a sale. What have you done for me lately? Right. And I remember, I remember being so excited when I would get us, you know, a couple sales in a day, I was having a bad week and, you know, you're just getting no after no after no, and you just have your head down in the sand and you feel like shit. 
and you get a couple wins and you feel great and you feel the momentum again. And then your boss tells you, well, you know what, over the, it's great. You got those sales, but over the entire week, you still didn't hit your quota. And there's, and there's that, and it almost forms an addiction. And some people are like, are kind of, um, become workaholics. A lot of the people who are workaholics, I don't want to say all the time, but a lot of the time they work in sales because it's like, I want that next win. I want that next win. Or I haven't had enough wins this month. I need to catch up before months end so I can make my quota for the quarter. Okay, let me pound the phones, pound the phones. So I think to your point, like sales is going to be very difficult to police. Um, sales is, is hyper competitive. You are being compared um, to others. You're, you're, a lot of salespeople are hard on themselves. I know I was very hard on myself. Um, even in an entry-level phone sales job, if I didn't hit my targets, I was hard on myself. And then my boss would be somewhat hard on me as well. Um, because that, I mean, you have to remember that sales is what makes the company. And if sales people don't perform the way that they're, that they're expected to, then the entire company suffers. And I know that as a marketing person, my part of my job is to create leads for these salespeople. And if I don't, as a marketing person, if I'm not generating, if I'm, you know, part of my job is lead generation and, and driving people towards a sale. So what, but you know, I warm up, I warm up these people, these customers. So by the time they get on the phone with the sales rep, they're already warm, right? So if I don't give them quality leads, it makes them harder, you know, it makes it harder for the salespeople to close, which is why you see them, some of them like sitting at home after hours, either generating their own leads or on the phone. So it's, it's, you're, you know, it is a very difficult thing to police in sales. I think in other areas we can police it. I think if I, I think if one of my colleagues didn't answer a tweet until the next day, let's say a, let's say a, a, a disgruntled work, a disgruntled customer had a really negative uh, uh, experience with our company and they mentioned it on social media at seven o'clock at night. Is it really going to make a difference if my, if our social media coordinator doesn't answer that person until 1030 the next morning, as opposed to answering them at nine o'clock at night? I don't think it's going to make that big a difference to the brand, but maybe, maybe some top management people would disagree with me. Well, I think it's just going to be like in some situations, force companies to uh, create an on-call position, you know, which just like, you know, in a lot of different businesses, I used to work for one where um, they wanted to basically be able to answer the phone 24 hours a day. Um, you know, I, I worked for a company that would basically buy uh, junk cars and yeah. they would sell them for scrap, right? Um, so whenever anybody called, it was literally money calling the company saying like, you know, here's my car and, you know, we would make money off of it. So we wanted to be able to answer the phone 24 hours a day, even though in the middle of the night at three in the morning, who calls to scrap their car at three in the morning? Apparently some uh, people do because they wanted that all call people, But like occasionally you get somebody calling at three in the morning, you know, and you don't want to miss that call. So, so, you know, you make, you make an on-call position. Okay. Everybody else has the night off, but one person, they've got the cell phone and they have to answer it. And every time that cell phone rings, they get an extra 50 bucks or something like that, you know? Well, I mean, I hope that, I hope those people are being um, fairly compensated. And I really hope they are getting the 50 bucks because I know, I know my uncle was in a similar position. He was a very high skilled worker. He's retired now, but he worked at 
um, the, I think it was the OPG, the Ontario Power Generation. So he was like, he worked at a nuclear power plant. So he's a very high skilled worker working in network technology. So he would be like, very, basically like a glorified IT guy with very specific skills like in, in networking technology. So he was very highly trained and very high skilled. And even he would have to be on call once in a while and he'd have to carry like the, the industry level, you know, um, like the, the high grade laptop with them come home with like this ultra powerful laptop that, that he would have to take home and be on call sometimes even like on an, on an Easter or on a, on a uh, Christmas break or whatever or something like that. I don't know if it was like on this, on like all the stat holidays, but once in a while we would have a family gathering and he'd be like the guy on call. And I remember that. And I think that there are certain jobs or like where that's necessary. And I think, I think like it, if, if there's like an after hours, like power failure in Southern Ontario, someone needs to be accountable for the grid or someone has to be accountable for like the networking solutions um, or IT is another one. Like if you're, if you're an IT professional and and, and, and the infrastructure goes down, like someone needs to be on call, right? So there are some positions that lend themselves to being on call because that's just the nature of the beast. And I, and I, and, and so I, I think that we're gonna not, I, I think in that case, you have to be well compensated um, for the fact that your life's being disrupted. Cause I can tell you, Alex, that I would never do a position when there's on call. I like my position because I clock in and I clock in at around 8.30 finish at 4.30, what have you. Um, and I like that because again, my company has really good work-life balance, especially in our marketing department. I love it, right? But see, I don't want to be that guy who's kind of trying to have like dinner with my my with my wife or trying to about to go out to a movie or just trying to have like a nice game, a nice night of gaming and thinking, okay, when's that shoe going to drop? When is that phone going to ring? And kind of having that in the back of my head. Yep, absolutely. Like it's, it, it's totally reasonable, but at, at the same time, like, you know, you could get an email, like, is there anything in this, this uh, legislation that's going to stop your boss from sending uh, a critique of your job performance on a Saturday morning uh, via email? And then you can't help but notice it. And then you're thinking about it for the next day and a half while you're, you know, you're on your own time. Yeah. And that's, and that's part of it. I think, I think, I think, I think where we're both, where we're both going, excuse me, with this conversation is not only is it the time that you spend when that phone rings or when you have that on-call situation where you have to like, maybe go to a job site or something after hours or work on a network after hours, because there's an emergency, there's that aspect of it, but there's also the, you, I want to mentally escape my work as well. So I may be at home, but I don't want to be thinking about like, what if my boss tries and calls me or what if a, a disgruntled customer, you know, tweets something terrible about the company and we have to rush in and, and, and be a, a social and, you know, save the brand on social media right away within two hours. Right. I don't want to be thinking about that. When I clock off at five o'clock, I want to enjoy my job or feel secure in, in, in my job enough or feel, you know, feel good enough about my manager, my boss. And fortunately I actually do, which is a great thing. I want to be able to feel confident that I can go in the next day and not feel guilty about not working that extra hour or not answering that email at eight o'clock. Like I want to mentally break away from work so I can focus on the people that I love. And the flip side of that is that I think that when I'm, when I'm at work, I want to not be thinking about what's for dinner, 
when do I have to get the, when do I have to bring in the car for the next service appointment? You know, what, what's, you know, what, do I have to go to the grocery store? I want to, I want to be focused on work when I'm at work and I want to be focused on my family and my friends and myself when I'm not at work. Is that fair? I think it's fair. Um, you also have to look at it from the employer's perspective though. You, you run a business um, and you know, you can't do everything by yourself. And if the shit shit hits the fan on the weekend or something like that, like you need to have some kind of ability to reach out to your, your employees. Right. So I, I wonder if they'll sort of make some sort of, um, you know, some exceptions or, or something like that, where if you do have to reach out to somebody, you know, you just have to compensate them or something like that. I don't know. Or maybe it should be management. Like, I feel like if you go out, I think if you go after a higher tier position, whether that's, I think, I think there's a sort of a line between, okay, here are individual contributors who don't have direct reports. They're just like the end, the, the staff, right? So I'm just like a staff member at my company. I don't have any direct reports. And I have technically, even though I, in my, you know, even though I do have a, a, a significant amount of responsibility, if you look at what I'm doing at my job with a marketing budget and whatnot, compared to like my director, I don't have nearly as much responsibility. But then my director is probably making $25,000 more than me per year, because the more you go up the ladder, the more like you get, there are significant increases. Something that I was looking at the other day was uh, I was reading an article where, where, where the gist of the article was, you know, your boss is probably making more than you think they are because, you know, management makes considerably more than individual um, uh, contributors, generally speaking, because there's so much responsibility. So if, if management really wants me to answer, a, sorry, if management really wants the brand to answer a tweet or answer a Facebook message from a concerned consumer after hours, maybe management should be managing that because why is the person who's the entry-level worker as a social media coordinator, why is the onus on them? They're making the least amount of money. Why is the onus on them to log on on a Saturday to answer that angry customer's tweet. Maybe it should be management's responsibility. What do you think, Al? Well, if you're a middle manager, I, I'm sure you would probably disagree with that. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I think there's like a lot of details that need to be worked out. Right. I, I'm, sure they're, I'm sure they're opening a can of worms like by introducing this legislation that seems to be fairly straightforward. I think you and I have uncovered like a lot of yeah. sort of gray areas and, yeah. and things that are going to have to be, you know, ironed out. And I, yeah. it's, I feel like it's going to create a rule book, like this, this whole other rule book that you have yeah. to add on top of the, the existing rules and regulations that your business has to follow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering like at first, when you first brought it up, I'm like, I'm all for it. But now that I think about it, I feel like there's just like so many uh, like little, little details that are going to have to be worked out. And it's just yeah. going to be like a regulatory nightmare. And at the end of the day, it's just going to make our, our province um, less competitive for businesses. And maybe that's not such a good thing. You know, and I, and I couldn't agree with you more. The more that we've been discussing this tonight, the more I'm seeing all those gaps and 
where the where the details need to be penciled in for sure. Um, so I exactly. agree with some. I agree again, with going going back to Doug Ford's uh, message. Ontario open for business. Uh, you're going to have to pay your employees more than you did before, and you're also going to have to uh, abide by this new rule book for yeah. for yeah. anything that happens after hours. Yeah, um, it's just weird to me that yeah. his his original um, creed of, of making it easier to do business in Ontario yeah. um, just doesn't seem to matter anymore. It's very weird. And, and while I, I, I can see where you're coming from, because you're not only are you decreasing output from the, from these people, because they're not answering after hours. So that decreases productivity. You're also having higher labor costs. So there's, there's a lot of pressure happening on businesses there. So I can see where you're coming from in terms of, what they're facing as, as, as managers or business owners. Um, but before we wrap up, I think what we have to bring back into, into, into light here um, as sort of a closing thought, okay, is that, you know, we, we have a friend, Justin, he's like a, he's, he literally deals with life and death every day. And if he's not on top of his game, someone could die right? That's, that's an example. He works as a first responder, right? So if someone dies on his watch because he wasn't paying attention or whatever, then that's a big, that's a big um, pill to swallow. That's a big guilt trip. Right? Uh, not let me, really. let me, let me, let me just get to my point. <laughs> that's so, a whole other podcast, but go ahead. No, 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 but let me, let me just get where I'm going with this. Let me get just before we wrap up, let me get to where I'm going with this. So, so if, 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 if a paramedic um, screws up something that's life and death. If a surgeon nicks the wrong, the wrong vein on the, on the, on the, on the operating table, that's again, could be a life and death situation. Right. But I think, you know, jobs like that aside, or even my uncle, right? Like if the power grid goes out, that's a huge deal. Like if the power grid for the Ontario power generation goes out, not having power is a huge deal. Right. But I think what we have to remember is like, if you don't make like a sale from someone at three o'clock in the morning with their junk car, maybe you're living, missing out on a little bit of revenue. At the end of the day, it's not going, no one's going to die. If, 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 if one of my colleagues does not respond to, uh, to an angry customer's um, social media post or their tweet right away, no one's going to die, right? Um, if you don't, I mean, if you don't fix someone's HVAC technician, uh, sorry, their HVAC issue, unless it's an emergency, if they, if you don't fix their HVAC right away, no one's going to die. So I think, I think we, we, what we have to remember is that there are life and death jobs. And then there are jobs where maybe it's not as life and death as everyone thinks it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, there's certain things that are essential and certain things that are really not. For sure, for sure. So I think we've been talking for a long time, but we've covered some great ground here with with Ian, our new guest, as well as yourself, um, Alex. Tonight we've talked about workers' rights. We've talked about the balancing act of the economy um, with with inflation and minimum wage going up. It's only going to put further stress on our economy. It's going to diminish our purchasing power. So I think we can agree there. We've also talked about workers' right to disconnect. We've had a really great opportunity tonight to talk about uh, what does is, what is the economy look like from the point of view of the workers? So some really gra- great thoughts tonight. Um, really appreciate it. Folks, if you like this kind of content, we have a lot of political content. 
We have the socialism episode. We have the Justin Trudeau episode. Um, lots of love, great stuff. Just check us out on Spotify, the Lockdown Lowdown, um, as well as on Facebook, where we're posting the episodes every week. And we do a lot of political content, so lots more coming back at you soon. Again, this is uh, Alex and Andrew signing off for now, and we will catch you next time.